So glad to have you this morning, and I hope you have your Bibles. So I want you to take them out right now and turn to Luke chapter 20, if you would. Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 27. Uh, Today's message is called A Day in the Afterlife. We have this three-week series going on last week. The reality of the afterlife today, the day of the afterlife next week, we're going to be looking at signs, signs of His coming. Let me say a couple of things as you turn in your Bible to that, just a couple of details. Uh, I want you to remember today, and we'll pray for them in just a second, uh, our student ministry uh, winter camp is taking place. And uh, so they're a few miles away from here. Yesterday they had some great um, uh, public service, if you will, community service projects that they were doing over here with Six Stones. And, and we have hundreds at camp. I don't know exactly how many, but hundreds that would be here are there. And they're having their worship service this morning, so we want to pray for them. Great things happen at camp in the lives of students, as you know. And uh, so we want to continue to pray for Kent Wells and that whole team there. Then also on the 28th, uh, this is something that's very important to us as a church body. We are having a town hall meeting for the purpose of talking about several things. The refurbishing of our facilities, in addition to a satellite project that we have scheduled for this year in Northwest Tarrant County. Uh, so we'll be looking at a number of very weighty, very important and exciting things as we gather in the chapel at 5 p.m. on the 28th. So we want to let you know about that. And thrilled about the uh, marriage conference that's taking place this morning, last week and Friday night. And I know that God's doing some great things. Incidentally, I'll be preaching about marriage today, but marriage in a place where there is no marrying and giving of marriage, and that is in eternity. So let's take our Bibles and turn to that passage and stand together as we look at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. Let me give you some background as we approach this. Matthew chapter 22 has everything laid out chronologically where a group of people are questioning Jesus' authority. And as they question his authority, their, their, their mode of operation is to ask difficult questions. And so the first question they ask him in Matthew 22 in sequence is, uh, this is a coin and Caesar's image is on it. Uh, do we pay taxes to him or not? And of course, Jesus has one of those amazing answers that everybody knows and says, whose image is on the coin? They say Caesar, and he says, render unto the things that belong to Caesar to him and to the things that belong to God to him. Amazing answer. The third question I have is the one of the greatest commandment. What is the greatest commandment of all of them? And of course, you remember Jesus said in verse 36 of Matthew 22, the greatest commandment is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. It's the second question. The Sadducees are asking this question that we find in Luke chapter 20. Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection at all, but simply believe in the law, are asking Jesus a question about the resurrection, about marriage. So we pick up that kind of context as we begin in verse 27. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he is childless, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died nonetheless, and the second and the third married her. And in the same way, all seven died, leaving no children. Finally, and this is my paraphrase, mercifully, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. 
Jesus said to them, and this is the case with Jesus when you ask him a difficult question, he always pulls back the curtain to Revelation and shows you amazing things that are repeated forever and ever. There is no question you can ask Jesus that's too difficult for him to answer. In fact, bring your challenges to him and watch him blow you out of the water with the answer. He always reveals something more, and he does. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they did not have any courage to question him any longer about anything. I like that last line. They have no courage to ask him about anything any longer. This has something to say to you today. Father, my prayer is that we will understand what all this has to say for us today. Not only about marriage, not only about the life of the resurrection and the afterlife, but about us personally and about you. So today I pray that you will reveal yourself to us in this text in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated if you would. Crazy question, right? People who don't believe in the resurrection asking Jesus about life and the resurrection. I think it's amazing that they're asking this question. Of course, they're just trying to trip him up. Because in their minds, they cannot conceive how life and the resurrection would happen. And they want... To, to make it look ridiculous so that Jesus cannot answer the question well. They want to disprove his teachings about the resurrection. Now, Jesus has been teaching about the resurrection. He has been telling them that he will rise from the dead, and some of them are starting to get the hint of that. Jesus has also, by now, raised Lazarus from the dead. So the resurrection is happening all around them, and yet they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in the afterlife. So they're trying to trip him up with this crazy question about seven dead men and a dead woman who had no children and whose, life, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Of course, Jesus is going to, to blow them away with his overview, his 30,000-foot plan of life as he has uh, planned it for us and that's so much more than this life only. Let me just say to you today that if you're like a Sadducee and you don't believe in the resurrection, then I really feel sorry for you. Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, we're all men most miserable. We are missing the best of life. So Jesus is going to talk about the best of life for a few minutes. He's going to talk about the question, but he's also going to talk about some other things that, that help us know something about the best of life. And whenever you think about the resurrection, heaven, and the afterlife, just keep this in mind. You have not experienced anything yet. The best that you've experienced in this life is going to be easily, easily overcome when you get to the next life. Christ himself and all that he has for us is amazingly better than anything this world, as good as it gets, can be. And so I want you to keep that in mind that Jesus is answering this question about the marriages as well as life in general. And he says several things. First of all, as we dig into this text for a few moments, let's talk about what Jesus says about us as individuals, first of all. I want you to see what he says about us as individuals. Jesus, in answering this question, begins back 
in verse 34 and verse 35, the sons of this age marry and are given to marriage. She says, yes, marriage is a fact. It's a fact on planet Earth. It's a fact in our present existence. But those who are considered worthy to attain that age, that is, those who have been given the grace of God and the forgiveness of God to be in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Well, let's just break down several steps here that are important for us. First of all, in this life, marriage happens. Let me just say to you today, in addition to the fact that marriage just happens, marriage is extraordinarily important. In this life, marriage is a way that God builds the family and expands the population of the planet. It's the way he helps us, in many ways, be holy. Not just happy, but holy. Jesus values marriage. All the way through the scripture, you'll find that he values marriage and teaches on marriage. The Bible itself teaches much about marriage. And, and, and in reality, many of us find most of our maturity in marriage. Where we're married, all of a sudden, we cannot be just an island unto ourselves. All of a sudden, we interact with someone else and our selfishness comes out and our need to be selfless comes out. And we learn something about um, that, that unconditional love that we're called to, that Jesus demonstrates to us. It's not the only place it can be learned, but certainly marriage is a daily time of instruction with that. In marriage, we have sexual expression. That's where God has given the sexuality that we have to be expressed in marriage and in marriage only. That's where procreation takes place. That's how we have children. And we are to raise kids within the home, a healthy home. And so Jesus acknowledges the importance of marriage, and we value the importance of marriage. We're having a marriage emphasis last week and this week, and we want our church to be a lighthouse for people who want to have the best possible marriage that they can have. We want to be a leader in that. We want to help marriages. We want those that are veterans in marriage, help those that are new in marriage. We want the scripture that we teach about marriage to be able to strengthen the marriages. But the Sadducees weren't really asking about marriage here on earth. They were asking about it in the life to come. And so we affirm marriage, but there's something else that's coming in this afterlife. I want you to notice what, what Jesus says next. He says in a very unusual phrase as he walks through this, but those who are considered worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead. He says to the Sadducees, yes, there is a resurrection, but you may not be in it. There will be some who are given this gift of eternal life, there'll be some who believe in the name of the Son of God and the words of the gospel who will be in this eternal life. And so some will experience resurrection. You may not be in it, but then he says, those who are in the resurrection will have no marriage. Now, let me just break this news to you gently. For those of you happily married, there will be no marriage in the resurrection. For those of you that are unhappily married, let me break this good news to you. When we all get to heaven, there'll be a day of rejoicing. <laughs> I know some of you are grabbing the hand of your spouse and going, baby, I just wanted to be with you forever and ever. And uh, what I just said to my wife last night as we were talking about this, I said, man, I can't imagine that we're going to be in heaven without each other as husband and wife. It'll be so different. She asked me about my message, and so I was re-preaching it to her, and we're kind of talking about that. You know, just when we've been married 40 years, we're, we're learning. We're learning now how to be really well married after 40 years. We're just now learning that, by the way. That's a confession, by the way. She probably knew all along, I'm just now learning, right? She would say, I'm finally training you after four decades. 
I'm not going to disagree with that publicly. And then she said, we can be best friends forever. You know what you say? When you say that to a guy, what he thinks, he thinks, oh man, that's not what I had in mind. I said, my response to her was, all right, we're going to make the best of it while we're on planet Earth. That's what I can say. And in eternity, we'll be best friends forever. But Jesus says, for a very particular reason, and Jesus has designed for a very deep reason why there will be no marriage in heaven. Let me just say on the onset, some of the truths that we understand about this are, are obvious. There is no procreation or new children in heaven. There will be no giving of birth for new children. But there will also be no death in heaven. But here's what you need to see about your existence in heaven. Instead of focusing on the marriage part, focus on the other aspect of that. And that is, when in heaven you stand before God individually, one-on-one -on -one with God. That's a big deal. Part of eternity is that we will personally fellowship with God for all time in all eternity. That says a great deal about our salvation. For example, there are those today that somehow think that because they're with someone that's very spiritual that they also will be spiritual. But the truth is, you're only spiritual, you're only right with God if you're right with God personally. You're not right with God because your mother is or your father is or because your wife is or your husband is because, or some significant friend of yours is, is right with God. You're only right with God if you're right with him individually. It's an individual interaction that you have with God and that becomes increasingly important as you grow older in life and it's everything in eternity. We are standing alone before God. It says a lot about spiritual growth. You are to nurture your spiritual growth yourself because you want to grow individually to be closer and closer to Christ. And we say this all the time because it's incredibly important for marriages on earth and for general happiness on earth. If you're not finding satisfaction in Christ as an individual, you'll never find it in marriage. You should never expect some other human to satisfy you and to fulfill you if you are not now letting Christ satisfy you and fulfill you. And it's when someone finds their satisfaction in Christ, their greatest affection in Christ, that they're able to love someone else unconditionally. We love because he first loved us. And I might add, we've learned how that looks and how it works. It says a lot about your spiritual growth, but it also says a lot about your worth your worth. I'm going to take a few minutes and, and try to unpack this because it's so incredibly important. You are not, you are not who you are because of your spouse before God. You are not who you are because of your family before God. Your worth to God has nothing to do with your marital status. Your value to God has nothing to do with whether you're married, whether you have children or not. There are those sometimes who, who are made to feel erroneously that if they're not married, they're somewhat uh, less of a full human being. Or if they don't have children, they're somewhat less of a woman, some say. But the reality is you stand before God, just you, just God, and God loves you unconditionally and your marital status has nothing to do with that. And all your existence in heaven is without marriage, without children, just you and God along with a corporate body of believers worshiping him individually. Listen to me carefully. You are of great value to God all by yourself. Amen. You, you let that sink in. 
You let that be the truth by which you walk because it is true of all time and all eternity. Much of what God does in our lives here and now is done in order to prepare us for all time and all eternity. I have six children, and as a father, I love all of them the same, and their marital status has nothing to do with that. None of them have children, so therefore I don't have a grandchild yet. I'm hinting, but I know hinting is not the way they come. I know there's another way they come, but the truth is I'm hinting. I'm doing my part. (laughs) But their value to me has nothing to do with whether they have children or not, whether they're married or not. Their value has nothing to do with their jobs. It has nothing to do with the way they look, the way they dress, what they drive, the house they live in. Their value that I have of them is based solely on my love for them as individuals. You need to be on the receiving end of that to know what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that marriage does not matter in heaven. It matters on earth. It's important. He has many reasons for it. But you need to know as an individual, you are the same before God, whether you're married or you're not. In eternity, we stand before God as individuals with our worth and our affections found totally in Christ. I say this to those who desire to be married but are not married. I say to those who have been married but are not, whether by divorce or by death. I say this to those that have children, those who do not have children, those in a good marriage or those in a bad marriage. I say to that, in every conceivable scenario, your worth to God is based on just the fact that he loves you. If you receive that, say amen. I want you to have that. I want you to let that sink in. This is the primary reason that eternity is configured the way it is. You are created from the beginning to be with him first. Be satisfied in him. And you'll be amazed at how it transforms everything else. It also speaks to us about what Jesus says about our bodies. If you move on into the text, and it's so important to look at this entire text, it says, for they cannot even die anymore. The word dunamis is there for really an unknown reason. Basically, it says you don't have the same power to live or die. Uh, You're going to be in this existence forever and ever. They cannot even die anymore because they are like Angels, that's encouraging. Those in the resurrection are like angels and they are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. That says that you in eternity will be like an angel. I think you ought to turn to someone next to you and say, you're like an angel. Would you do that? You're like an angel. Some of you are having trouble articulating that because you know, you just know. And some of you will point out the fact that this is only speaking of resurrection life and we're not there yet. (laughs) The idea of being like angels means simply that at that moment of resurrection, we will put on immortality, life without end. They were created with immortality. They were created to live forever and ever and we will put on immortality at the resurrection. There'll be no more death. No more dying, no more sickness, no more sin. Can't wait for the no more sin part. Let me just say to you, in eternity, because of what Jesus teaches here in other places, in eternity, you are miraculously transformed into the image of Christ. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So therefore, the priority for you now is to be being remade in the image of Christ. There's something I noticed that you notice as well, and that is everywhere we are, 
driving through the streets of a city like we live in, there are health centers everywhere, right? And by health centers, I mean gyms. I mean fitness centers. I'm talking about places where people go and work out, right? I drive by them all the time. I've been a member of a great health club for three years. The last time I went was when I signed up. That's true. <laughs> Just the truth. But every time I drive by, parking lots are full of cars. On Sunday morning, when I drive to church, 7.30 in the morning, on Sunday morning, two health clubs nearest my church are packed with cars. People are enamored with being physically fit. And I would only hope, wouldn't it be a crazy notion, if all of us would, be, would want to be as spiritually fit as we want to be physically fit, right? If we put the time and the energy and the effort into being spiritually like Christ rather than just being physically fit after some ideal, wow, what a church we would be. What an amazing group of individuals we would be. What a, what a great corporate body we would be if we desired to be able to, to lift the spiritual weight and to run the endurance that we're supposed to be running with if we put that kind of focus in it. Now, I'm saying that for your benefit if you feel guilty about being out of shape. And I'm saying that for my benefit because I am out of shape. But I'm not unfit spiritually. And that's where the priority has to be. I want you to be physically fit. I want you to be able to, to run a marathon if you want to be. I'll be with you when you run a marathon. I'll be the one holding the starter's pistol and I'll, <laughs> I'll pull the trigger and then you can run it. I want you to be fit, but more than that, I want you to be spiritually fit. Jesus is saying, you're gonna have a very different kind of body in heaven. It's important to be fit on planet Earth. But when you're in heaven, the body and the spirit are really gonna be one and the same, a glorified body, fit and like the image of Jesus Christ. You'll be like angels and you are the sons of the Most High. Now what exactly does that mean? Well, in Romans chapter eight, verse 16, there is a hint at that. One of the cross references that we study comes to that and then another one in 1 John. In Romans chapter eight, it says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're the children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is an amazing statement that really is hard for me to grasp. It's hard for me to say I'm fellow heirs with Christ, the sinless son of God. That all the inheritance the father gives to the son, I'm a fellow heir, an equal heir with Christ. That's crazy, isn't it? It's wild, but it's spiritual truth. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Amazing. And then 1 John chapter 3 says more about our physical bodies in heaven. Behold, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We can't see what we'll be like then just yet. We do know that when he appears, we will be like him. So like angels, like Christ, because we will see him just as he is in all of his glory. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he himself it's pure. We have a hope fixed on Christ to be like Christ. This is heavy stuff. The Bible says that in this life, we'll behold his glory looking in a glass and we will be transformed from glory to glory into the same image. And one day we'll stand before him in heaven and body and spirit are one and the same. They're glorified, they're holy, they're pure, they're without blemish, spiritually fit like we cannot imagine now. And my admonition to you today is that Jesus speaks enough about the body to help you to know that you are now to be on the track for becoming more like Christ. That's part of what he does in all 
of our existence here on earth. And then finally, what Jesus says about affections, and our affections really is where all this is headed. Now, the most difficult thing of this text to understand is verse 37 and 38, because it seems that Jesus almost changes the subject, but he's, he's staying with the subject of resurrection, but at the same time, he's demonstrating a great, what I would call an illustration of what heaven will look like. He says, but the, that, that the dead are raised, even Moses showed, in the passage about the burning bush, and he's quoting Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. So back in that day, Moses stood before the burning bush, and God himself said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and Moses understood whose presence he was in because of the burning bush that wasn't consumed and because of a statement and the voice of the Lord. And Moses became a real follower. He began to follow God in every way. And his love for God and his affection for God were transformed by that experience. So we've just talked about the removal in heaven of marriages because in, in heaven there will be no marriage. And one of the first questions is, if no human intimacy exists in heaven in the way we see marriage, what does satisfy us? And the answer is the same thing that should always satisfy us, and that's him. It's what we're created for. It's what everything else can support and can encourage. But the ultimate is to be satisfied in him. To find our affections radically fulfilled by Jesus himself, now, and then when we see him face to face. That's incredibly important. And so what Jesus is doing is painting a picture. And here's what he's saying to the Sadducees. He's saying the testimony of the patriarchs is gonna be impressive to you guys. Because you believe in the patriarchs. You believe in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You believe in the law. And one day in the resurrection, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are gonna fall at my feet and they're gonna worship me. And their affection has always been towards me. You're asking me a tricky question because you don't believe in the resurrection. And yet all those men that you look to, all those people that you quote, will be with me in eternity. You're going to be blown away by the plan I have for eternity. And as I was reading that, I was reminded of the fact that Jesus gave Peter a similar experience. Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that? In Matthew chapter 7, 17, in about the first four or five verses where Peter, James, and John go with Jesus up onto a mountain to pray. And the Bible says that Jesus is transfigured before them. A metamorphosis takes place. In their eyes, he ceases to be the Jesus that led them to the mountain. And in their eyes, they begin to see a glimpse of his glory. Now, I can't tell you what degree of glory it is. It was a blinding glory. It was an amazing glory. It was an obvious thing because of the reaction of the others around but we also see that he was talking on that mountain with Moses and Elijah. Remember that story. And, and Peter begins to say words as Peter is prone to do. He says stuff and he's always talking. And so he blurts out, Lord, it's good for us to be here. That was his quote. It's good for us to be here. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is glorified and there is uh, Moses and Elijah, I'm gonna say something other than, oh, it's a good place to be today. Must not say. It's good for us to be here. Then you dig into the scripture a little deeper and you find the word good is a word that's a little broader than just good versus bad. And that word good, according to Spiros Zodiades, refers to harmonious completeness. 
I have a sense that, that Peter was saying something more than, oh, it's a good thing, what I just saw. He's saying, Lord, right here, I find my total completeness in looking at your glory and the glory of the saints past who are talking with you on this mountain. And we wanna build three tabernacles, Lord. We, we wanna build one for you, one for Moses, one Elijah, and that's, that's where God interrupts Peter. One of my favorite passages, God interrupts Peter and says, no, listen to my son. Be quiet, Peter. Listen to Jesus. I think Jesus is giving us a glimpse. I think he's given the Sadducees a glimpse of what's going to happen. The patriarchs and all the others around me are living to me. They're living for me. They find their affection fulfilled and satisfied in me. They find their worship and their harmonious completeness all completely satiated and satisfied in me. Your affections ultimately will be eternally seated in Christ, eternally satisfied in Christ. And so the admonition for us today is this. Since Jesus will ultimately satisfy you, let him immediately satisfy you. Since you will ultimately become like him, be on that journey now. Since you'll ultimately worship him, worship him now. As though you know where you're going. To the afterlife, to the resurrection. This is not the end. This is not the best. There's more to come. More to come. I want you today to get your priorities and your relationships in order. It's him first. Now and forever, it's him first. Let's get our affections in order. He's satisfied. No one else satisfied. And I pray if you're in a marriage now that you'll find great satisfaction in that marriage, but it will never satisfy you to the degree that Jesus can. It will never let you be loved as only Jesus could love you. Now, marriages are at best momentary, as important as they are. Our marriage with him, eternal, ultimate. We're the body of Christ. And we can't wait for him to come back and consummate that marriage and satisfy us. So I would say to you what Jesus would say to the Pharisees. It's going to be an amazing afterlife. Are you ready for it? Are you willing to worship me, to trust me, and I'll give you a life you could never have imagined? I want you to bow your head for just a moment and close your eyes. Our prayer team will come to the front, as we always do. We'll be ready to pray, available to pray. And you know, one of the most important things you can be thinking about right now is this question, what satisfies me and who satisfies me? If you're a married person today and today you heard great instruction about marriage and you have great, great plans to build your marriage to be as strong as it possibly can be, you still have to answer the question, who satisfies you, who fulfills you? And if you're looking for your spouse to do that and not looking to Christ to do that, you're gonna be really disappointed. Try as much as they may, your spouse can never bring the fulfillment that Christ can bring. But as a satisfied worshiper of Christ, you can have a great marriage. That's the balance. That's how it happens. So if you're looking for someone else to satisfy you, make a decision to let Jesus do that. It may be today that you have felt like you're of lesser worth because you're not married or you don't have children or somewhere back your marriage failed, didn't work out. 
Maybe you're alone. Let me just tell you, you're precious and you're loved in the sight of God. I want you to know today, God values you so highly and I want you to believe that truth today. I want you to walk away today knowing that you are loved by God for all time and all eternity. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will stand in that kind of uh, enveloping of love that no one else could ever match. No scenario could ever possibly, possibly compared to the, the love that he has for you. Remember that, stand in that, believe that, trust that. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, today's the day to do it. And I wanna encourage you in just a moment as we stand to do that. In just a few moments as we stand, I'll pray. And as I pray, as I conclude that prayer, our service will be over. And there will be many that walk that way. They'll walk out the doors. They'll be going on to the rest of the day. People will give as they leave. They'll drop off guest cars. They'll go to Guest Central. They'll go to very many places, to the cars, to eat lunch, to fellowship maybe. It really doesn't matter where everybody else goes. If you need to make a decision today, you walk this way. You come towards me. You come towards those who are here ready to pray for you. Because having those few moments of prayer, those few moments of decision make all the difference in the world. Bertine, would you come up right now? And as you come, be stationed for those that come. Be ready to join them in prayer. Be ready to counsel them, encourage them. Congregation, would you stand right now? Father, in Jesus' name today, I am so very thankful that you love us as individuals. And Father, we pray today for all the work that you're doing in our church and around us. Pray for our students at camp. Pray for the marriages that have been challenged this week. We pray for all the individuals today who have heard the word and who know what this message says to them about their value, their worth, their calling. And Father, my prayer today is that none of us would miss out on the satisfaction and fulfillment that comes from knowing you and from knowing that you love us. Father, thank you that you have us in mind when you think about and when you create life on earth, but thank you that you have us in mind when you have created eternity as well. And Father, we look forward to being fully consummated and satisfied in you in that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.